Hello and welcome to the Codex Prime Podcast. We are on episode 247, and it is Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, and with me as always is my co-host and social media chair, Carl Bird. What is happening, everybody? Yes, and joining us live in the Codex Zoom studios all the way from Dallas, he is the author of, of the book Make a Nerdy Living. He is also a psychologist and and also a huge nerd, which we all love so much in the nerd nation known as Codex Prime. Uh, ladies and gentlemen and party people worldwide, please give it up for Mr. Alex Langley. Welcome, sir. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here, good to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, so um, uh, Alex is joining us uh, in, uh, for this week's episode, so we're going to talk a bit about his work. We'll talk a bit about, you know, nerd culture, some of our favorite things that we've been watching, and uh, maybe some other games that we've been, games we've been playing, books we've been reading. You know how we do, like, on the Codex Prime podcast, you know, we celebrate all things nerd culture. So, uh, so we'll, we'll start with you, Alex. Um, how's, how's life? How are, how's, how's your world been? Um, you know, it's, it's improving, improving, able to get out in the world a little more than I was this time last year. So, you know, it's mm. improving a bit slowly, but steadily. Mm. Oh, yeah, abs- absolutely. I know, like, um, I don't, I know, I know for us up here in the, in the Northeast, I, I know things have, things have eased a bit enough where we can actually sort of like kind of breathe somewhat of a collective sigh of relief. Um, yeah. but you know, every, every now and then I, I still, you know, put my mask on, you know, cause you never know who's, you know, vaccinated. Or oh yeah. No, now I'm, I mean, it's still it, down in the South, the, you know, things are a little hairier than they are in, in some other more vaxxed parts of the country. So, uh, it's still, it's very cautious, but you know, we can at least go to a restaurant and sit far away or something, you know? <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny because like I can actually because cause, like before like in the in the, like the height of the pandemic like if I was if I were to walk into like a sandwich shop like I would like my heart would start racing and I'd be like I need to get out of here I gotta get out of here as fast as I can come on make my sandwich quick you're not doing you're not being fast enough but yeah. now it's but now it's like okay yeah take your time I'm cool I got, got my mask yeah yeah. yeah 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 or you have to be really you, you think like okay what was I touching while I was in there like it's mm. <clears throat> as a psychologist like the lingering effects of this pandemic are are disheartening but also fascinating because we're just we're going to see a lot of like lasting uh ripples from what we've all been through oh yeah absolutely yeah but um but yeah uh but at least uh at least um at least for for now we have a bit of a reprieve from you know you know the real life uh worries and uh and fears that that with that way heavily on us and Carl, I know you're chomping at the bit. I worked through this whole entire thing, so it just kind of was like, it, it, I, I figured it was bound to hit me, but, you know, knock on wood, it never did. Um, I am double vaccinated, so it was just, I mean, I, it just seemed like, I mean, we did things did change for me, and it's, you know, in certain areas, but I just, like, never stopped. I just kept going throughout this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So... So yeah, so yeah, Carl. Um, would you like to lead us, lead the way? Okay. Well, um, how should we start this? First of all, um, Alex, you're our guest. Tell us a little bit about yourself and some of your uh, humble beginnings. <laughs> so my humble beginnings. Okay. Um, so, shh, it's 
Spencer. <laughs> I'm talking. Sorry, guys. My kid is he's going to bed here in a minute, but it's not quite bedtime yet. So again, the magic of a Zoom interview. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Yeah, we understand. <laughs> um, okay, so your question was my humble beginnings. So I I have always wanted to be an author ever since I started writing Final Fantasy fan fiction in junior high. <laughs> I've just, I've always wanted to, I always wanted to be a writer and, and to, to write books and, you know, write about fantastical worlds and nerdy stuff and video games and all that sort of thing. And so, uh, right towards the end of graduate school, I started some friends and family and I, we started going to Comic-Con more at San Diego Comic Con specifically, and some other conventions from there, and uh, we started a website, which mostly became my website ultimately. RocketLama.com is kind of my home base website now, which is my where you can find lists of all my books and that kind of thing. So I started RocketLama.com, and I started as kind of like a a, a blog review site sort of thing, and eventually that part sort of petered out and sort of phased into just being my Central Author Hub, but through Rocket Llama, uh, doing stuff for that, I ended up meeting a lot of just really interesting and cool people, going to conventions, doing, starting to do panels with people, meeting other professional nerds, um, and then I, I got recommended to write for a now sadly defunct video game review website called Arcade Sushi. So I, for a while, I was a professional game reviewer mixed in with trying to work on these books and get them out there. And in the midst of all that, I got approached about writing a book called The Geek Handbook, which is like, it was a comedic daily living guide for the, the nerdy type, like the kind of stuff that I felt like I would have benefited from knowing when I was like a young uh, nerdy man growing up in the world. And so I just, I mixed the book with a lot of comedy and slipped in a lot of psychology. You know, you could put the vitamin, the donut to get somebody to eat it. Then, um, then that book did well enough that I ended up doing a few more books kind of in that, that au revoir and then make a nerdy living. It's the most recent iteration of that where I, I, I was, I was inspired to write make a nerdy living because there are so many folks out there who are, we're putting our blood, sweat and tears into doing these new interesting types of careers, but there's very little advice on how to do it. There's very little information on how to try to grow your audience and to become successful. And so I just thought like, why not try to put together a book about it? I'll talk to the other people I know who've made it, who've done these things, you know, professional podcasters, professional cosplayers, professional nerdy craft people like anybody that I could think of and just talk to them about like what it is that helped them make it to where they are to where they are these in these professional nerdy positions very nice very nice because I mean I definitely you know I definitely enjoyed it and it, and very interesting I learned that your father is a writer uh, is a writer and a psychologist as well correct and he's, he, uh, he's the author of Batman and Psychology a Dark and Stormy Night and some of those books I was very interested in reading. Like, I actually thought I wanted to recommend to Victor here, because uh, Victor is a uh, huge Star Wars fan. Yep. And that's, a, that's a good one. I wrote a chapter in that one, so, I mean, not that I'm biased or anything. 
<laughs> so I'm very um, interested in reading like some, you know, reading a couple of those books. Um, I'm a huge Marvel fan, Marvel fan. So um, obviously the Black Panther psychology, the Star Wars psychology, um, the Captain Man, Captain America and Iron Man psychology. And it actually like get yeah, you know, it would give like um, a different perspective of like what these uh, characters are going through, what um, like the, their thoughts that are running through their heads as they're going on these uh, wild adventures. Like, and one thing I wanted to ask you, um, have you been uh, keeping up with the MCU lately? Oh, yeah. I mean, outside of, you know, seeing Black Widow through Disney Plus, like, I've seen all of them through, I saw all of them in theater. I, I've, I've watched every MCU series that's been on so far. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very up to speed. Yeah, so, yeah, because something... Like, WandaVision is actually one that I would, like, recommend for, like, a psychologist or a therapist. And I always wanted to hear, like, their point of views of, like, how... Um, it's pretty safe to say, like, the show is based on grief. Absolutely. I mean, so, since you brought it up, let's, let's talk a little bit. There's a, a model of grief most people are somewhat familiar with called the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. Where, you know, we have this idea that most people, when they're grieving, they go through the stages of you have your denial bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance. Um, well, and that's a very helpful model and a very, it's a very accurate depiction of grief. It's also not quite as clear cut as like a lot of movies and TV shows will make it because most of them will say, you'll start here and you're just gonna go straight through here. It's a straight line from one end of grief to the other. But as we see with real grief, as we see with WandaVision, grief is not, it's not a straight line. It's it's curvy. It goes back and forth. You know, one day you you might feel like you've hit an acceptance points, and then you're right back into anger. You kind of bounce around. And uh, I think I think WandaVision illustrates that beautifully because we it, it was such a right show for the time because we all have grief for what we've been through. You know, whether for those of us who've lost loved ones or even the folks who haven't who just are feeling the weight of this time that we have kind of lost in the last year. Um, WandaVision's musings on grief is something that I think has become incredibly universal in a way that, you know, they, obviously the showrunners weren't prepared for it to be when they were putting it together. And it, it was just, yeah, it was the right show for the time. And uh, I, I'm glad to see a show like that, talking about something that's so real but doing it in a way that is also so approachable. Because right. that's, that's, that's the beauty of fiction, is that we can talk about real things through fiction in a way that is easier for the audience to digest. It's, you know, if you have to hear about your, if your friend has PTSD from their time in Iraq, like, that's really heavy to sit through. But if you're watching Iron Man 3 and you're watching Tony Stark deal with his PTSD and that, that's, it's a lot easier because you have the distancing from the, the reality of this, you know, this painful condition that he's going through. And so that WandaVision and, and so many other different shows and movies and, and stories, they really do help people better understand themselves and better understand each other. Very, very good. So, um, whew, I have like a whole uh, <laughs> list now. Oh yeah. Also, your um, your wife is a uh, film blogger, I believe, an action film. Uh, 
Correct, yes. The action flick chick, Katrina Hill. Um, yeah, she, she's had an action movie blog that she's run for about 10 years. She's got a couple of different books on the subject. They're behind me, but this is my virtual Zoom background, so you can't see it. But, you know, she's got different books out there. Uh, she has her book on action movies, and she also has a book that she and I wrote together called The 100 Greatest Graphic Novels, which is just a discussion of all the the greatest graphic novels ever put to print at the time. Okay, that's going to, on my Amazon uh, wish list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and speaking of graphic novels, um, um, like what was like what was the uh, impetus to, to create that 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 book that that list of hundred greatest yeah. graphic novels? Well, you know, graphic novels are something that. They don't get their due credit in a lot of circles. I mean, like, there's something that are very well loved in kind of like smaller circles, but you know, it, as popular as a lot of like comic books are in general, when they're adapted to other media, they're still not. There's still a much smaller, more insular crowd that's into comic books, and I, I feel like the same thing kind of applies to graphic novels. So it was our way of trying to lionize this beautiful art form that has so many incredibly moving and engaging stories that sometimes are not getting the attention or credit that they deserve. Plus, it was also an excuse for us to read hundreds of graphic novels and write a book about it. So, <laughs> I have no objections to that one because uh, I always kind of compare I always kind of like compared um like graphic, you know, graphic novels to uh single issues. Like I would say it's like it's like if you're reading a graphic novel you're binge watching it on Netflix. You have all the episodes right then and there, and you can just binge watch them with one sitting. Where like single issues, it's more or less like appointment television, where you read one, you're getting one episode, and then you have to wait till the next, like wait till next week for the next uh, right. episode and so forth. Yeah, we. So one of the things that we had to do from the start was kind of try to define like, what is a graphic novel because it's. It's something that a lot of people kind of have an idea as to what a graphic novel is, but we had to really kind of pick a particular definition because otherwise people would be like, well, why isn't, why isn't this in there or why is this in there? So the, the thing that we also kind of settled on was that it had to be something that told a complete story within its pages, you know. So that's why we will have some of them that will be like these volumes of, you know, Ms. Marvel or the visions, like these are excellent graphic novels because they're telling this perfect, complete story. And like, yes, you know, Ms. Marvel has more issues after that, but we're counting this right here because it's 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 the whole package, it's the full story. So um, now, how has your wife influenced you on your writing, seeing that she's a, a blogger herself? I would say that Katrina has definitely she's influenced me to just in general and with writing to be more diligent and more daring. Yeah. You know, we met in uh, honors college at, at the university of central Arkansas. And so they, it was, it was a co-ed dorm because I guess they wanted the nerds to get together and <laughs> it worked. <laughs> so uh, we met there and I was immediately impressed by her intelligence and her determination and that's something that I've just, I mean, in all the time we've been together, I still draw inspiration from both personally and professionally that she 
is just she's incredibly determined, unstoppably determined, and very hardworking. And myself, I have always leaned a little more towards the slacker <laughs> category. So I've tried to try to take that in from her and be like, okay, I gotta focus on this. You know, there'll be there'll be time for there'll be time for Horizon Zero Dawn later. I'll finish <laughs> this first, you know. Never finished that game. Oh man, it's it's awesome. I would say that it's got a really like exponential curve in terms of like how good it is and how especially the story. Like yeah. the story gets so much it gets better and better and better as the game goes on. So I highly recommend it. And the graphics are just beautiful. Oh yeah, no joke. I there's a website called canvasprint.com. They get a free advertisement for me right now because I use their service. But you can send them pictures or even screen grabs uh, from games that you like, and they'll turn it into a nice little canvas thing for a pretty affordable price. And I've got this screenshot that I took right as the sun was coming up in Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, it just it was so beautiful. I was like, I bet this would look good up on our wall. And yeah, it did. Because like you said, I mean, it is it's incredible looking. And what's the name of that website? Canvas Prints. Canvas Prints, okay. Yeah, P-R-I-N-T-S. That's right, Canvas Prints, you're getting all kinds of free advertisement for Yeah, me. you are. <laughs> free of charge. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, that that might motivate some gamers to, like, use the photo mode in their games. To, like, maybe... Man, I, I do it all the time. I'm always taking pictures in games. It's like, they just... They're just so pretty these days. <laughs> yes. <You know? laughs> yes, especially um, I don't know if you've played it yet. Um, Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, I have it. I've I've seen a lot from it, and I've seen a lot of like incredible, incredible screenshots from it. Oh, yeah. I've beaten that game three times already. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I hear my, really good things about it. My initial playing, and then um, every February that we um do with the uh, Game Adelphia podcast, where um. It's a four in February challenge where you have to try to beat four games within the month of February. Okay. Yeah, so I just decided, I'm like, you know what, I'll use the new game plus just to, you know, for that. Mm -hmm. And then just for the hell of it, I was like, you know what, I just feel like playing this game. So I'm just got to play it. Yeah, you're like, I don't need a reason, but I have one now, so. Yeah, like literally just, I just want to play it. Very nice. Yeah. So your father also being a psychologist and a, a author himself. Now, how has he influenced on your your writing? So my my dad, both my parents in general, my dad also in specific, like we have always loved discussing fiction. Like it's for it's been a ritual since as far back as I can remember for like me and him and my brother will go see a movie and on the drive back. We would talk it over and kind of you know, work our way through the the story, the themes, the characters, kind of what they were thinking and feeling, you know, um, because the psychology, you know, it's the science of why, why do we do the things that we do? And that clicks with storytelling so much because a lot of writing stories and a lot of being an audience member for stories is trying to figure out like, why are these characters doing what they're doing? And so through him, he helped foster this incredible love in me to to look at stories in that way, to to look at the why behind these fictional characters, mm. you know? Because that, that, that is very interesting, because also, like, I've um, noticed, I've, I've noticed when I watched uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, it was more of a, um, 
Like I said, it was more of a, like a political show. Yeah, they were going for a different vibe with it. I was I was pleased with the amount of with the 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 message that they were working through, trying to you know have uh, you know Anthony Mackie working through these these different issues, the weight of being a black man in America, uh, potentially taken up this mantle of Captain America. Like I was. I was really glad to see that. I, I wanted I wanted a little more. I was like, all right, Disney, I know that you're trying to play it real safe, so they always just give you a little taste of something. But they, gen- they tend to not go as deep, but I was like, I wanted them to, wanted them to come at it a little harder, you know? But still, I, I was I was very impressed with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah and also we do have a question from um, Dina, who also, who also does our... Um, Merchandise, crafty cancel cuts. Oh, we plug everybody in as much as we sure. can. You gotta support. Nice. You know? I guess you, you gotta support. Yeah, that's making any living. A lot of it was like I, I can write a book and I can plug my friends at the same time. You know, that's yeah, how this this world is. Yeah, cause she actually also uh, read the book. I actually uh, lend it to her so she can read, and she oh, you know, nice. does, she does crafting. So she just wants to know if she can have like any advice when it comes to. Uh, crafting and uh getting her word out getting the word out there more than um, so yeah i have a whole section on there on crafting which you know given that she's read it I, I know that she's been through but yeah the the basics of crafting are that one of the cool things about crafting you know things like you know crochet dolls or or, or clay figurines or, or plastic figurines or something like that is that the turnaround time from start to finish on a product is a little faster than something else. So it's easier for you to chase inspiration and to chase trends than it is for somebody like, like as an author, chasing trends is really hard because the publishing industry is hellaciously slow a lot of the time. And so like, like when Twilight was hitting big, if you wanted to write about, if you were like, oh, I love Twilight, I want to write about sparkling vampires now, it's too late. Like, you know, the, it's, it's gonna, by the time your book's gonna be out there, it's probably past. Like, for most trends like that, there's not gonna be time. But with crafting, you know, if you're like, I really liked Falcon Winter Soldier, I wanna craft, you know, uh, Anthony Mackie and his full Captain America outfit looking like a star spangled angel, like, you could do it because the, the turnaround time is, it's real quick on that. So, that, I would say that, that's a major, thing to to try to follow is whatever it is that you're feeling very inspired by or whatever the major trends are that you're enjoying like go with those and move quick bad so with you okay so with you your wife and your father being you know total nerds what are those like debates like um well i think debate Debate implies a difference of opinion, which most of the time we don't have. We tend to agree pretty heavily on oh. stuff, but we do have these very like long, in-depth like conversations about that kind of thing. Because like you know, uh, Katrina and I, for years, she she's had this panel that she's done at San Diego Comic Con every year uh, called "The Most Dangerous Women at Comic Con," that where she talks about the the, the female geeky, nerdy issues, like, that women are facing, and sometimes it's talking about, like, you know, issues in pop culture, sometimes it's talking about harassment in conventions, like, all kinds of different things, and so, 
I will usually help her behind the scenes with that, and she'll kind of bounce ideas off of me for, you know, questions to ask the panel, that kind of thing. I think I've done the panel, I think I did the panel once or twice. Most of the time it's, it's all ladies, but occasionally I'll be the fill-in guy to try to show, like, you don't have to be a woman to care about women's issues. Uh, then with my dad, we'll do a lot of psychology panels where we're talking about the psychology of, you know, Harley Quinn or, or Joker or Joker and Harley Quinn or Deadpool or something like that. Yeah. And so it's just, it's interesting because a lot of times we will get, when you're up in front of an audience, you get the kind of extra energy. So sometimes you'll get different ideas for, or different interpretations of characters that you might not have if you were just sitting and thinking about them at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was also thinking too. Um, think, thinking about um, fictional characters and 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 psychology. Um, I, want, I want to know from your perspective as a psychologist, uh, what's your take on the character of Harley Quinn? Because I've always found it fascinating. Like you have this character who is, you know, a trained uh, you know psychologist who ends up being mired in her own psychosis. So from from a psychologist perspective, what's your take on that character and her? like internal or external struggles? Well, so the beauty of Harley Quinn is that for so many of us, especially so many women, they can look back at the guy they dated and just go, why, why did I date that guy? You know, and, and why did they, why did they have so much of an influence on me? Why did I change for him? And, and Harley Quinn, you know, we've had a lot of different iterations of her, which each kind of, they all, all they all speak to that core, but they'll be a little different each time. You know, Margot Robbie's version of Harley Quinn is a little more unhinged than the Harley Quinn that we saw in Batman the Animated Series when the character premieres. So we have a lot of different versions, just like we have a lot of different versions of, you know, Batman and Joker to where they all kind of have that same core, but they have their own little, different little spice to them. Um, but with with Harley, there's, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of think about that character. Um, you know, in some versions you have Harley Quinn being a little more like amorphous in her personality to where she changes based on the people she's spending time around. You know, if she, if she is around the Joker, she's a little more manic. She's uh, a little more chaotic. If she's hanging out with, Green Arrow, she's a little more leveled out, a little more heroic. I'm talking the Injustice version of uh, Harley here. Okay. Um, and and that, kind of, that kind of behavior is potentially indicative of what we call a borderline personality disorder. With a borderline personality disorder, that means somebody who their personality is very, is very chaotic, it's very ill-formed. This is somebody who is going to tend to be kind of obsessive about the people they're around because they're very afraid of being abandoned. Um, there's a TV show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which did a spectacular job of depicting that. And just depicting psychology and mental health in general. It's one of the few TV shows I've ever seen where I'm like, they're talking about the DSM. They're, they're talking about real psychology here. They have psychologists giving actual good psychology advice instead of the, the crazy nonsense that I hear a lot of fictional psychologists saying. So, uh, you know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the protagonist of that, and some versions of Harley Quinn not too off from each other because, you know, they. sometimes you could argue Harley Quinn is having a borderline personality disorder. Other times you could just argue that she is somebody who got drawn into a cult of one. You know, you there are people perfectly 
smart, sound, logically minded people who will join cults. And it's not through any weakness of character of them. It is that they ran up against somebody with an incredible force of personality at a time where they were at their lowest point. And that's also another argument for what happened with Harley Quinn too, is that she brushed up against the Joker at a time where she was feeling particularly low, particularly vulnerable, and he seized on that. Yeah, that's very interesting. Another, um, and as you was talking, I was thinking um, from a psychologist perspective, I'm just going to move it on to Marvel. So Thanos, you know, in his mission in the MCU, in the MCU version, we already know comic book, he's just chasing after her. He's just doing it to impress a girl. He just wants to hook up with death. Like, you know, everybody's tried to impress a girl sometimes, you know, no sweat Thanos. Okay. But, but movie Thanos, what about him? Like, how would you like, like his motive for connect, you know, collecting all the infinity stones and the, um, and the snap, to yeah, the wipe snap, out half the getting universe. you know, wiping out half the universe. Um, would you say that he was right, and or like how well, would you? Well, so here's some things that Thanos fundamentally either didn't understand or refused to acknowledge. One, an understanding of populations. The the human population on Earth is double what it was in, I think, 1972. So in the span of about 50 years, we've doubled. So Thanos snaps away half the people on Earth. We're going to restock pretty quickly. You know, uh, also, he didn't understand or didn't care about thinking about population density and the numbers of population of different species. Like, if you wipe out half the rats on Earth, Big deal. There's going to be the same number of rats next year because rats reproduce rapidly. If you wipe out half the tigers on Earth, we're out of tigers because we don't have enough tigers as it is. They're a pretty endangered species. Right. You know, So we're going to see – we would see that across the entire universe of endangered species just going extinct. And then the, the, the rats and cockroaches of the universe multiplying because – you know, wiping out half of them doesn't have much of an impact. And what I found interesting about Thanos is even though that he may he may act magnanimous, he may act like that he was doing it all for for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the goal, one of the things that is really apparent with him, especially in Endgame, is that ultimately it's about him. Yeah. His when he's coming up with a plan to get the Infinity Gauntlet, at no point is he like, Okay, if any of you guys get it, do the snap. Because the mission is what matters. No, it's get that thing to me. I got to be the one who does it. If it was reversed, you know, Cap would say, whoever gets it, do it, fix things. But Thanos has got to be the one to do the snap. Same thing. Scarlet Witch is about to rip him apart on a molecular level. And so he's like, hey, uh, blow up my guys to save my ass. Because I really, I got to be the one doing the snap, you know. Uh, I don't care if you mooks die, but I got to be snapping, so. So he he hides it, and I don't even know that he's necessarily aware of how full of it he is. But ultimately, it comes out of just pure ego, saying, "I have this right vision." La 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 la. Any any issues that you have, those don't matter. I've got to be the one to do this. I deserve all the credit. So in short, I would say no. I would not. I wouldn't say Thanos was right. Wow, I, I never really thought about it. 
Because I would say Thanos was right every time, like, I'm stuck in traffic somewhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> going to work, going to work like, during this pandemic, I mean, everything was just smooth sailing, and I was going yeah, to work pretty fast. And more people, yeah. But it's like, if he really wanted to help, he could have just doubled the resources. Exactly. And it's like, you've got the Infinity Gauntlet. You don't have to kill half of everybody. You can double the resources. Yeah. Or you could just redistribute the resources that we have better earth's got a lot of resources to go around but they're not they're not distributed very well i never really thought about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i was when when uh infinity war came out i was just i was seeing a lot of discussion about it and i ended up i think i was talking with my dad about it and we were digging into it a bit and we saw that that fact about like the the population having doubled since like 1972 then we're like well that his whole plan is pointless, and then we started talking about rats and tigers, and those are my kind of go-to. Is that again, you wipe out half the rats, they don't care. Half the tigers, we got no more tigers. Yeah. Yes, you. So let's have a little bit of fun, real quick. So what have you? What are you are like you, reading? What are you playing? Like what video games are you playing now or reading? I know it's it. kind of hard because you know you're a family man, so. Hey, I you know you got to make time for fun stuff too. Exactly. And also this for me like video games, fun stuff. That's that's important research too. Uh, let's see. So the games that I've been playing, I just finished Resident Evil Eight, nice. which was interesting. Being a pretty new father, playing this game that's predominantly about parenthood, about fatherhood. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, plus, I I loved how gleefully weird it was. Like even for a Resident Evil game, Resident Evil Eight went hard into the weird and i was into it across the board as soon as at the beginning of the game when you see that it's this whole cast of like metal gear solid style weirdos like i was i was into it start to finish this guy yeah <laughs> four times yeah I, I i did beat the game uh four times um oh wow yeah, I started uh, speed running so, so I can unlock all of the uh, infinite ammo weapons and. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, it was yeah, and I, I managed to beat the game like uh, in one hour fifty nine minutes fifty nine seconds. So I was like one minute one second shy of two hours. Ooh. Yeah. That man, that is lightning fast. Yeah. I mean, I know the the rest of the late speed running community they they're getting it down tight. That's a good time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I came to the... Re after playing Resident Evil 2 remake, and Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, I just came to the conclusion I need Infinity Ammo to play that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know you've been... You got... You rage quit Resident Evil 7. Sure did. <laughs> I did it again, too. When I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would say, like, give it a shot. Like I said, like, you can, you can play the game, like, on just the easiest difficulty setting and just get through the story and have fun. You could. I don't like you Yeah. <laughs> That's, I honestly, I was like, especially now having a kid, I have taken a lot more to putting stuff on easy than I used to. Used to be, I'd be like, hard, on default, yeah, sure. But now I'm like, I've got, I have one hour today mm -hmm. where I can play something and I'm not going to be able to play again for three days. So I want to make progress. I don't want to just throw myself against the wall and constantly have the wall crush me, so... Mm -hmm. You know, so, so there's listen, there is no there's no dishonor playing it on easy like they, I like a lot of games recently they've been calling them accessibility options which I like because it's like, you know sometimes you like a game but 
maybe you have really bad vision. I, one of my best friends is legally blind, but she likes playing video games. So having those kind of options in there to where she's got a little more leeway, like really help her out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've, I've tried to, I've tried to move away from, from the mindset of, of there being dishonor on easy mode. That's also why I like sometimes like Horizon Zero Dawn, they just call it story difficulty. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, if you want to just be there for the story, but you're not really that worried about, you know, getting wiped out or whatever, you're not looking for a mega challenge, you're looking for the experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I know for me, too, like, like as, I, as I've gotten older, like, I've, I've started to appreciate easy mode now. Uh, yeah. Like, like, I, like I, I call it, like, I kind of address it, I call it, call it, um, like, adult mode in a way, because it's like, because, you know, you're, you're busy with work, and, you know, you got some other obligations, and it's like, well, you know, what? I want, like you said, like, I want to make progress, and, you know, I don't, and, you know, I feel like if I'm playing on normal or hard difficulty, it's like, wait a minute, who am I, am I trying to prove something to somebody? Yeah, like, it's like, what, what do you got to prove? Uh, I played, I beat Persona 5, loved, I had such a good time with Persona 5, but it's like, it's like 70 hours long or something. Mm. And I got, I got to the end of the game, to the final dungeon, and I found out that I was, like, the final dungeon's kind of a big step up in difficulty. And so, like, if you have been just kind of barely making it along without doing much grinding or whatever to that point, you're going to start getting your ass handed to you. And I was like, man, I, I, I was like, i got to finish this. Because this was right before my son was born. I was like, I, I'm, I'm going to be a father real soon, and I will not have as much time to put into knocking out this 80-hour game. So I was like throw that shit on easy and yeah. just blitz my way to the final dungeon had a great time with it oh yeah i'll think about playing it on easy i'm thinking yeah. about <laughs> just the thought you know just the thought because okay, so also like some like some games i'll still throw on hard because i'm like i'm i'm ready for this game on hard mm -hmm. you know but other games i'm like i, I just i want to know what's gonna happen i may just do spider-man on hard Oh, like yeah. that one I beat like maybe three or four times mm. and I just beat it again <laughs> well see also like cause you, you know you played it already so you, you know how it goes so you're, you're there for the the Spider-Man experience right which man what a good experience it is too oh god I love that I love that game so much mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's wild too like how accurate New York is in it it is yeah. it is I mean like, I'll go oh, sorry you go ahead well, I was saying that, yeah, sure, there's, like, mild changes, you know, like, obviously, the World Trade, the New World, the Freedom Tower doesn't look how it is in the game, but, and then obviously yeah. where the, like, the Oscorp factories is where the Javits Center is, where they have New York right. Comic Con, but. But still, like, so much of it is so accurate. Like, I, when I picked up Spider-Man, I had actually, I had just been to New York Comic Con pretty recently. And so, like, and, and I, this was a trip where we put in some extra time and, like, really, like, walked New York and kind of hit it up. So it was crazy just being like, hey, there's, you know, there's the museum right outside of Central Park. Like, they really mapped it out so well. And also just gave you such a good feeling of, like, being Spider-Man. Like, what it would feel like to be Spider-Man. The beauty of web-slinging, how much his life is constantly pulling him in six different directions while he's, like, he's, like, you know... Just am I Black Cat's son's uh, father? Uh, I gotta chase these criminals down. Also, my aunt's calling me at the same time, so I need to call her and be real casual while I'm web slinging, trying to catch these criminals in this car. Like, you get the feeling of being pulled in every direction. It's I I think Insomniac Spider-Man is one of the best Spider-Man stories ever told because it does such a good job of like really capturing the essence 
of being that character, being the guy who's so busy being a superhero that he doesn't have the money to pay his bills and he gets evicted and he's got to chase a garbage truck around town to go get his stuff back, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I'll, make a, I'll make a case that that is probably the best superhero game out. Yeah. I mean, you get no argument for me, is it? That's a mighty fine game. Yeah. So what? Uh, so what would you re- so what do you re- what would you recommend like right now? What movies, vi- uh, video games, comics? Right now, let's see. Uh, I'm I just I finished Horizon Zero Dawn recently and Resident Evil Eight recently. I I'm playing Persona Five Strikers right now because I I I don't play too too many. JRPGs these days, but I pick up one every once in a while. But although the Final Fantasy games do, they, they call me in yeah. most of the time. But like the Tales of, I, I, I tend to miss those. Um, but something about Persona 5, like that music stylishness of all the menus and everything just really sucked me in. And when the sequel came out, I was like, yeah, I'll give that shot too. So I've been playing some Persona 5 Strikers. Um, Streets of Rage 4. Oh my God. I'm playing a Law of Streets of Rage 4. Did we just become nice. best friends? <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Uh, man, I just, I have it on Switch, so I only managed to just get the DLC, like, today, because it's been out of commission for the last week. But, like, man, they really, they did such a good job of, like, capturing the magic of that 25-year-old game and then translating it to a modern era while still keeping that, that core essence the same. Yeah, because I actually feel like there's no more beat-em-ups out there anymore. Not many. We don't. There's beat 'em ups as a genre. We don't tend to see very many. You tend to get like real low budget kind of indie stuff, and then every once in a while you'll get a bigger budget one like Streets of Rage Four, or medium budget ones like Castle Crashers or the Scott Pilgrim game. But like even the Scott Pilgrim game came out a decade ago. Yeah. You know. And and there's a, there's a, and speaking of beat 'em ups, there's a fun one on the Switch, and I think it's also on the PS4. It's called The Takeover. Oh yeah. Yeah, that that's a really fun one. It was, it's kind of like um like it's like it's like it's like two two and a half D. So it's like all three D models and environments with like that traditional two uh, D uh, gameplay. It's really oh. really fun. Like it's um plays like three different characters and there's like a punch and a kick button. So you get to like land. You get to string together like long lengthy combos. Um, and you interesting. And, okay. Yep. And each and each character has a has a has a gun that they can use and they can collect ammo. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's a really fun game. It's and it's plays really well on the oh. Switch, too. I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm I, always looking for more beat-em-ups. I got that Capcom beat-em-up classic collection or whatever. It oh, has a yeah. bunch of, like, previously, like, arcade-only Capcom games like Alien vs. Predator, Captain Commando. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. It's And plus, they, you know, the whole game's built with it on free play, so, like, it's infinite continues. You can just yeah. get some friends and beat up robots or mutants or whatever, because it's got, it's like a half dozen different games in it. It's good. Any uh, comics? Any comics or graphic novels you would recommend? Um, yeah, the the most recent one that I picked up that I've been I was very impressed with is this comic called Homesick Pilots, and it's it's such an interesting bait and switch because like it's a haunted house book, but ultimately it's like a like a mecha like Gundam type mecha anime sort of thing. <laughs> Because it's like the main character uses a haunted house as this mech to fight other ghost-possessed things. 
Um, and like it, it's it's a it's a hard R comic for sure because like the ghosts are not friendly ghosts in it, and they will do some uncool things to people. But uh, it's yeah, Homesick Pilots. I've been I've been very pleased by. It. I I don't remember if the second volume is out yet, but uh, I I love that first volume. And then I'll tell you a perennial favorite of mine is uh, this Japanese manga artist Junji Ito, who does these incredible horror stories. Like he's got one called Uzumaki, otherwise known as Spiral, where he just explores the concept of spirals and kind of how these spirals infect this town and make most everybody go crazy. And it, you just see like, it's like, it was almost like a challenge for him to be like, how many different horrifying ways can I approach this shape, this idea of a spiral? And that's that's the magic of Junji Ito too, is that he will take something so mundane and find the horror in it like he has one short story where he no joke drew the scariest pillow i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and like and it's just a regular pillow it's not like a pillow with demon fangs or something but just the way he drew it i'm like that's a scary pillow. <laughs> uh because he he will put so much time into giving these insane little details and you're just looking at that pillow and you're like that's that's too much detail why does that pillow look like that um, so he, for anybody looking for some good horror, like Junji Ito is always a recommendation. Yes, I would definitely recommend too for you, um, the nice house on the lake. Oh yeah. So what's that one? It's, it's about, um, this guy, he go, uh, he spent like, a, like probably the past 10 years just making friends, you know, making friends in different parts of the country. And then uh -huh. all of a sudden he disappears and then he reappears and he invites them all on a vacation to his nice house on the lake. Okay. So the people end up showing, you know, all his friends wind up showing up. And then they realize, okay, they don't have any, you know, reception on their phones or whatever. But, you know, it's in a country area. So, you know, that's kind of expected. So when everybody's in the lake, the apocalypse happens. Everywhere else but the house in the lake. Okay. Interesting. So they're just stuck, in, and it turns out that the um, the main character, the guy that uh, puts everybody together, is an alien. He had something to do with this entire situation. So okay. they're basically stuck in this house. Um, it's two. There's only two issues. It's only two issues in. Um, it's uh -huh. written by uh, James Tinney and the Fourth, who also wrote um, Something's Killing the Children. Okay. So if if a pillow was very horrifying, I would suggest that one. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I'll check it out. I definitely want to check out this horrifying pillow, though. Is <laughs> yeah, Junji Ito, I, I love that guy. He's a he's a master of of horror for sure. Um, any film recommendations? Because Vic over here, he's not only a one-time uh, writing instructor, yeah. but a film aficionado as well. Like, oh, okay. As a mass collection yeah, it's like i noticed the casablanca poster back there yeah uh let's see <clears throat> uh the movie what was the last the last movie i saw was black widow which i liked Very uh i'm trying to think what else have i seen recently um <laughs> this is a not recommendation but my wife when she was young, she loved the movie Never Been Kissed, the Drew Barrymore movie. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
she loved, just something about it. It was just one of those like kind of comfort food movies for her. And so we checked it out as adults and we we're like, Oh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in this that hasn't aged super duper well. <laughs> so, uh, that's a, that's a non recommendation from us, but that, you know, sometimes you got to really like, you got to think like this thing that I loved as a kid, do I want to check it out again or, or leave it with that pure, youthful love that I had for it. Cause sometimes you check it out again and you're like, no, nah. like the thing I always think of, there's the, I don't know if up in Rhode Island, if there's a restaurant called Fazoli's, like a chain of Italian restaurants, but mm-hmm. here in the South, we have some places called Fazoli's and it's fast food, Italian food. Like come get a lasagna and a drive through or whatever. And when I was in college, I ate there so much. I was like, yeah, uh, I want, I'm going to pay five bucks for this lasagna and as many bread breadsticks as I can eat. And I was out uh, a little while back and I saw one. I was like, I should go get some Fazoli's. Yeah. And I get it. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is $5 lasagna that I can get in a drive through. So this is, uh, this is not a good experience. <laughs> so now I use that as shorthand where I'm like, you, you got to weigh whether or not you want to potentially ruin that thing you loved. And so I'm like, don't Fazoli's it. You know, sometimes you got to leave the past where it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, m- movie wise, I, I haven't caught as many movies super recently because it's just a little easier with my schedule with having a small kid and, and with working multiple jobs and everything to break things up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I saw Army of the Dead. That's another one I saw recently, too. Which did you guys see Army of the Dead? Uh, not yet. No, I. Oh, okay. It's yeah. a. I mean, you know, everybody's got their different takes on it. You, you guys may enjoy it more than I did. I, I liked things about it, but I thought it was kind of a mess. But it's also like Zack Snyder's. Even even at his worst, he knows how to shoot the hell out of a movie. He will make some very pretty shots. But yeah, kind of a mess. Yeah, in a long dried out sense. I mean, I'm taking shots at the Snyder, the Justice League Snyder cut. <laughs> oh, there's another one. Yeah, I did a I did a panel for Comic Con about Justice League, which meant I was like to be really up to speed on it. I had to watch Joss Whedon's Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League. So that because uh, I wanted I was like I want to fully engage in this conversation, so I'm gonna hit them both. And uh, I did not hide. I didn't care for either, really. <laughs> Let him know. Let him, you know, tell, tell us. Tell I us why. Not, I mean, I like Snyder's a lot more because he would have moments that I really liked in it. Joss Whedon's just felt like a, it felt like a worse version of Avengers mm. in a lot of ways, you know? Where he's like, if he's trying to be quippy, like the actors aren't as into the roles, the quips aren't as good, et cetera. With, with Zack Snyder's, it was a lot more self-important but it was also a lot more earnest you know it's kind of like Zack Snyder in some ways is kind of like anime where with a lot of anime there's a lot of like there's a lot of qualifications you got to make you'd be like I like this anime but there's there's this thing you know I like My Hero Academia but there's this little purple dude who is a humongous pervert who's always creeping on the girls you kind of have to ignore that guy (laughs) you know and with Zack Snyder it's like I like this stuff about it but he's also obsessed with death 
and is really fucking gloomy and and knows how to suck the fun out of a lot of his movies sometimes. <laughs> but he will still be there's an earnestness to him that I was appreciate. Just like with anime, there tends to be this earnestness to it where you will have these dramatic moments where people are doing things that are on the surface very silly, but they work in the moment. And like with his with his Justice League, like at the very least, uh, his stuff with the fl- the Flash was great, and also Ray Fisher. Like yeah. now, I see how much that poor man got robbed yeah. by the Joss Whedon version, because he I mean he had this huge character arc in the Snyder yeah. version, and the Joss Whedon version, he's just kind of walking around with a, in a hoodie for a while, and then he says "booyah" at the end, like you know. Yep. He, he he was he was basically like in the Josh Whedon version he was basically like just the Iron Fist, yeah. like his whole purpose was to punch a wall. Yep. Where Cyborg in the Josh Whedon version, I, I guess you can kind of say, okay, I look at it this way. In the Josh Whedon version, his he was just a glorified USB drive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Snyder's version, like he has, he has this whole arc of him. It's a USB with drive with something in it that you that's important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the human heart, you know, the essence of cyborg. Mm-hmm. Although, boy, I, I, so the cyborg that I think of most is like the the Teen Titans I'm most familiar with is 1970s Teen Titans, like George Perez as the artist. Like that's that's the Teen Titans I know the most, 70s and 80s, and cyborg back then. He was so much more man, like you, he had skin showing. You know, I I've, I've really disliked this trend over time to reduce the amount of black man they like to leave on Cyborg because I feel like with each iteration his design tends to be let's put more robot crap on him and less black man and it just I mean it just feels sucky because. You know, there's there's not enough black superheroes. There's not not enough superheroes of color in general, anyway. So to reduce the visibility of one of the more well-known heroes, I, I just I think that kind of sucks. Plus, I mean, just on a, a nerdy like complaining level, the CG on him a lot of times made him look like he'd just been rolling around in broken mirror shards. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just shine some light on an aluminum foil, and you got cyborg. Yeah, I mean. For real. So I wish I wish that more versions of Cyborg would move towards that, like 70s, 80s Teen Titan, where you could see a lot more that he was a man with cybernetic parts, not just, you know, this much of his face and the rest of him is pure aluminum foil. <laughs> okay. And your thoughts on the latest Star Wars trilogy? All right. <laughs> So sick. He's so, so sick of this argument. Asked, <laughs> so since you asked, I so I'll say a couple of things. One, it bums me out how much Disney did did not allow there to be or did not bring in people with any kind of like a strong overarching plan for these, because we've got decades of extended universe stuff that they could have drawn from to tell a strong coherent story, and instead they tried to make something that was ostensibly original but that just aped the original trilogy very badly. And two, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, they were just, they were a mess. And Last Jedi especially was a mess in terms of, like, 
I think, doing the most injustice to a lot of the characters. Well, at least, Ryan Johnson, at least I can respect that he was trying to say something with his films. The two Abrams movies were like, I felt like copycatting the original trilogy a lot harder than Last yeah. Jedi, which was at least trying to do its own, own original thing. But, <clears throat> so in my chapter on Star Wars and psychology, when I was writing that, I rewatched the original trilogy. And one of the things, as a kid, it's real easy to come away liking Han Solo, you know, because he gets the funny lines and, you know, he's a little more of a goofball and it's a little easier to not be as interested in Luke. But like, as an adult man, I found myself so much more interested in Luke because he is compassionate. Then that's something that we don't see very much in pop culture is to where you have a hero who a lot of their strength comes through compassion. Like Luke triumphs at the end of Return of the Jedi because he makes the compassionate choice. He he says, I believe in my father. I believe that there's still the man, Anakin Skywalker, in there, that he's not just Darth Vader. And he's willing to let the Emperor roast him to death with Force Lightning to prove his point because he believes so strongly in his father that there was good in him. Cut to Last Jedi, and we have him thinking, man, my nephew seems like he might be a dick someday. Maybe I should take a lightsaber in there and, and, and cut him up. And I'm like, that, that just, that's so antithetical to the core of Luke's character. You know, this guy who, who, whose strength is compassion from the get-go. This guy who's nice to droids when almost nobody in the Star Wars universe is nice to droids. The droids, they, they should have an uprising because they, they are, they've got the shit into the stick. That is, that is true, and they're smart enough to do so. Yeah, and, and most people treat them horribly. You know, mm-hmm. Luke is one of the few people who treats droids with respect because he's he's compassionate. And, you know, uh, again, like, I, I felt like it was such a shame to do something that was so opposite of what we'd seen from this compassionate character because there are very few, like, very few positive, like, depictions of male compassion in pop culture. Uh, I would say... Curiously enough, I'd say Dragon Ball Z is another one of the good depictions of it. If you think about Goku, like, his whole crew, pretty much every one of them was somebody who tried to kill him when they first met. True. You know? And and every time, he's always like, you know what, though? I think we could be friends eventually. I think I think, I think think we could be friends. And, you know, and Tien or, or, or uh, Yamcha or Vegeta or even Frieza, they're like, I'm going to kill you some... Well... I get, I mean, this guy, this Goku guy, all right, we'll hang out, we'll go to a barbecue, it's all right, you know, we'll play some baseball. And so I just, I like that, because I, I get, like, as a as a psychologist, as a human being, like, compassion is a very important skill, and, and all too often, so many different stories will just depict men who win because they were more violent than the other guy, and it's like, that might make for a cool fist fight in a movie, but it does not, it doesn't make for a good message to pass on to the audience, and it shouldn't be the only message that audiences get to have. Indeed. Yeah, and, and also, I, I, do, I, do, I do find that, you know, uh, that you know, your thoughts on, on the, the characterization of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi compared to uh, the original trilogy, I, you know, you, you, you do raise some uh, really compelling points. Um, I thought I thought that his characterization, while it was polarizing, I thought it was actually a pretty interesting take. Um, mainly because I, you know, you know, 
there's 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 a wide gulf of time between like the end of the original trilogy and and the sequel trilogy. So it's like about like 30, 35 years. So yeah. So you know, it's what happened between those to to get him to where he is. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I. I it's just it's a it's a it's a large ask to ask that of the audience. Like if if we're gonna take Luke on that level of an emotional journey, then we needed a better. I feel like we needed a better bridge to, to, to fill the gap between the two. Because, like, obviously you can have somebody who's the most positive person in the world and they can get down in a really dark place. But if, if the last thing we see of Luke is of him making that compassionate choice and the next thing is him going, yeah, to hell with the galaxy, uh, I'm going to try to kill my nephew. Like, we, I, I just I wanted, I wanted to thread that need a little more and... and uh, Right, right, yeah, Fill out yeah. the rest of the sweater. I mean, yeah. we may get it with his uh, ending from his, um, I guess you can call it a cameo appearance in the Mandalorian. Um, Mandalorian. Yeah, maybe. I hope so. Because, like, you know, first of all, anything that gets Mark Hamill uh, out there playing Luke again, God bless that man. I love that dude. So, you know, <laughs> anything gets him out there, like, I'm all for it. So, yeah. yeah. And,. And also alternatively too, I, I know um, I think it was like the Star Wars Rebels TV series. They did have an out where there are different, there, where time travel is essentially a thing in the Star Wars universe, where there are different maybe uh-huh. alternate realities. Uh, Interesting. So it could be a case where the sequel trilogy could be written as such, where that was like an alternate uh, version of of events, where where the Luke Skywalker we saw may not necessarily be quote unquote canonical. So that could be. Uh-huh. They could, that could be an out that Disney can lean into. I mean, they need that's to. what Disney did with the extended universe. So, yeah. yeah. That's always possible. That. <laughs> the only downside is that, like, they will never have another chance to do Star Wars sequels with the original Big Three. Because right, Carrie yeah. Fisher passed away. And Harrison Ford, you'd have to back up a huge truck of money <laughs> to get him to play Han Solo again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, just give, just give him all the money from Endgame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Good, good luck getting him to play Han Solo again. Mm-hmm. I did I did genuinely enjoy Adam Driver's performance as Kylo Ren, though, because he, yeah. he plays somebody who is so wounded and, and so fractured and so angry. And uh, I, I just I thought there was a lot of really interesting nuance to him. And, like, one of my favorite scenes in the new trilogy is that scene where he's talking to what's potentially Han's force ghost out in the water, you know, and they have that conversation. Uh, I, I, I thought that was a, I thought it was a really, really great scene, but I wanted, I wanted more stuff, or a little more stuff like that, a little less stuff that was just, you know, either copying the original trilogy or going all over the place and never really, never really answering any questions. Just pulling the JJ Abrams mystery box and saying, what's in the box? What's actually in the box doesn't matter, but I want you to be interested in what's in the box because that's what J.J. Abrams does a lot with a lot yeah. of his stories. You know, it's what he did with Lost for years. So, oh, yeah. You know, it's what he did even with Alias. His first, uh, I think, Alias. I don't know if Alias preceded Felicity, but he did that and that too. Oh, so wow. he likes that mystery box. Yeah, it's like that. It's like it's like a, it's like basically like 
a MacGuffin, if you will, where it's like, oh, it's not about it's not about the what's in the box. It's about the characters and about the journey and the friends we made along the way. It's like, yeah. no, you made a mystery narrative. Like, you have to have a legitimate payoff. Yeah, Otherwise, it's like, we just... need to know what's in the box. You <laughs> yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, in, in Pulp Fiction, what's in the box doesn't matter. But in the Abrams stories, what's in the box matters. And what's in the box is usually a little confetti or something, you know, just mm. yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing worth the trip there. Mm. So you want to hit him with the this or that? Yeah. All right. So we have a, so we have a, a, a game that we like to play with our guests. Um, it's called this or that. And this, right. this, this feature is actually uh, inspired by, I'm actually borrowing the concept from one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, Jamel Hill is unbothered. And, okay. and in, in her podcast, she asks, she gives guests uh, two choices and they can only pick one. Um, okay. So, like the like the fate of the world depends on your choice. Okay. All, All right. right. So. All right. Here we go. I'm All ready. Right. All right. So, uh, so here's a, a this or that. Um, okay. All right. In terms of uh, uh, the better superhero, Batman or Spider Man? Okay. We're saying better as in more effective, or are we saying better as in just like. Who do I like more? What are which? Are you leaving it open ended? You're leaving it to me to interpret. Yep. Yep. You can interpret it however you wish. Okay. Uh, I'll put Batman in a close second, but Spidey, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, I'm gonna put it number one. Wow. Batman's a close. Batman is a close second, but yeah, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man number one. One thing I will dis- I will agree on that because like his vil- Spidey's villains. I feel like they don't get the credit that they deserve. Oh, he you has can a... really feel how good his villains are by Marvel not being able to use them in the MCU, and you realize that like most of the Marvel comics' best villains are either mutants or Spider-Man's villains. Yeah, yeah. Because the Marvel movies, they're like, we got these great actors playing our heroes, and then we've got Mads Mikkelsen, and we're gonna waste him playing this this guy nobody knows particularly well and even though he's a terrific actor he's not going to get much of a chance to shine here because he's playing some c-list bad guy from marvel comics mm-hmm. but yeah spidey spidey's got a hell of a rogues gallery mm-hmm. plus i just i you know between the two batman i have so much good stuff i could say about batman but i think the reason i'm gonna edge out spider-man over him is because ultimately like he is that first representation of the everyday person as a superhero trying to make a difference, you know, whereas like you can, we can identify with Spider-Man. We can identify with, you know, being too busy to pay attention to our significant other until it's too late and they're pissed off at us or they're walking out the door or something like that. Only in his case, you know, it's because he's fighting Dr. Octopus at the same time while trying to talk to, you know, Gwen Stacy or something. But in Batman's case, like I cannot personally identify with being a billionaire whose parents were murdered in front of me. You know, like I can, there's a lot I can identify with Batman in terms of like his his determination or his, especially his drive to try to make the world a better place so that other people don't suffer as he suffered, like great, noble causes. Plus Batman is just cool as hell. <laughs> there's also that factor too. But yeah, I think Spidey for being the first everyday superhero, that's, that's what, plus I, you know, between the two superheroes, I'm more Spider-Man because, as you guys can 
tell from the amount of talking that I've done on this podcast. Like I'm just, I'm naturally loquacious. So I just talk, talk, talk. And when Spider-Man talk, talk, talks so much that the supervillains are like, shut up. I'm like, I feel like that's how I'd be too if I was a superhero. Okay. Um, this is, uh, this is one that's just been a never ending battle with, uh, our guest between Victor and I. Okay. Pineapple pizza. Yes or no? on it on pizza. I don't like it as much when it's hot. So I would I, it's a soft no. I'm going to say a soft no. I'll take I'm it. I'm like I was like it's a soft no. If, if pineapple's on a pizza like I'll still go for it but it's not my it's not my like number one topping combo. You know? Okay. Fair point. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm anti-pineapple pizza. You're anti-pineapple pizza. Alright. <laughs> uh, oh another point I will say for Spider-Man is Having to wear masks, having to wear masks for the last year, like, my respect for him has gone up so much because I'm like, he's wearing a full face mask all the time while he's out there hustling. Like, that cannot be easy. Mm. I'm walking around a grocery store and I'm getting sick of wearing a mask, so respect. (laughs) Absolutely. And Batman never covered his mouth, too, so. Batman didn't cover (laughs) his mouth. He could breathe easy. Yeah. (laughs) All right, here's another one. Um, Ridley Scott's Alien or James Cameron's Aliens. Woo! 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, man. And they're both so damn good. <laughs> I will. They're both so damn good, and so and different, and yet still go together too. Mm. So like, that's a rough one. I'm gonna give. I'm going to give the slight edge to Alien Singular because, as the predecessor, it laid the groundwork. Yeah. Where it Because it had nothing to build on, so they had to go in, you know, butt naked, creating everything from the ground up. Whereas with Aliens, you have, you know, the, the, the Geiger creatures to work with already, those designs to build on. You've got Sigourney Weaver... Uh, as this incredible performance is Ripley to build on. So, like, they have a little bit more to work with from the start. So just for the the difficulty of the get-go with Alien, I'm going to give it to that. Uh, just in the interest of choosing a this or a that. Because normally I'd say I love them both for very different reasons. But, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give the edge to Alien. Okay. Slight, slight edge. All right, I got one. All right. The Dark Knight or Avengers Endgame? a lot of it we don't with the nolan movies in general but especially like with dark knight and especially uh dark knight rises we don't get enough of batman being good at batman i feel whereas dark knight because we get so much time with heath ledger giving this otherworldly performance as the joker that i feel like we don't get enough time of like batman being cool i want more batman being cool in it whereas with endgame like 
sometimes if I'm feeling a little like if I've just had kind of a crappy day, like I'll throw in that last 45 minutes of Endgame, starting with like when Cat picks up Mjolnir and starts beating up Thanos, like starting there and just go to the rest of the movie. Like it never fails to make me feel good watching that. So correct. I'm gonna give it to Endgame. Okay. All right. Yeah, I got it too. It, it, that portal scene. That portal scene, especially the if you on your left, like man. Yeah. Especially if you've seen it opening weekend in the theaters, it was one of those exceptional moments where everybody is cheering in the theaters and uh-huh. you're okay with it. Oh, no joke. I'm like, I'm getting a little bit of chills just thinking back to that moment in theaters, thinking of everybody cheering, you know, because it's like we've been waiting, we've been waiting a year for this, you know. It's like, it's like those those episodes of Dragon Ball Z. I, I keep going to Dragon Ball Z because of your shirt, but like, I think those episodes <laughs> of Dragon Ball Z were like, you know, Goku. Or somebody gets some kind of crazy power up in mid-fight. And so this asshole who's been giving everybody grief for the last 40 episodes, like you're about to see them get their shit kicked in for a half hour, you know, by Super Saiyan Goku or Vegito or something like that. And like Endgame, you get that same satisfaction, but more so because you have all these movies coming together that you've been watching for years, all these characters that like, and, and in my case and so many other cases, like that we've loved since we were wee little bitty kids and seeing them brought together in such a spectacular way with such respect to them uh it just i i it never gets old not to mention endgame is such especially with the previous you know 10 years of movies like you can you can still dissect endgame to this day and the movie's been out for two years Mm -hmm. yeah it's like every time i rewatch endgame i'm picking up new little things to appreciate about it new little these little callbacks, you know, T'Challa calling Clint Clint as a callback to Civil War when he's like, I'm Clint, I don't care. Like, right. you know, all just all these tiny little things like just or uh, another one I picked up last time I watched it is uh, Captain Marvel. When she takes out Thanos at the beginning of the movie, her move is she comes in hard, hits him in the knee to knock him down and then puts him in the headlock. And like, that's the exact same thing she does to Thanos at the end of the movie, too, because she's like. Worked on him the first time. I'm gonna get him with this again, and it's like just so many little details. I am you know? even one that I actually um, that a friend of mine sent me a video of. Tony Stark actually predicted Kang. Oh Have yeah, that did he? Yeah, it was a line that he was saying. You don't. Yeah, when he says you don't, he says the cap. You don't mess with time, because time will come back to get you. And then there was just this whole eleven minute video. I'll be sure to send it to you. I'll definitely send it to you guys. But yeah, he just broke down the whole entire the whole entire thing and it shows that like it brought up some very interesting theories saying like Tony Stark predicted the whole situation with Kang. Another wow. one I came across was that uh Captain Captain America when he went back to uh you know, rep- you know, return to Infinity Stones, but yet he came back and he lived his life with Peggy. Is a possible chance that he created the the multiverse while he was returning the stones. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm I've thought about that too. I'm real interested to see that get touched on in future Marvel stuff. We'll yeah, I'll definitely say I'll definitely send you those links because it just had, it had me thinking. So now it's like, all right, now even though with everything that's going on, with everything that we saw in Loki, with you know Kang, you know with Kang, the introduction of Kang. Um, it just makes you want to even relive the entire MCU just so you can see if there's little tidbits and how you can figure out what's going to be happening next. Yeah. 
totally. Yeah. Also, uh, just one other thing I, I wanted to mention, just talking about like the sheer love of like the goosebump factor of Endgame is Tony Stark with the snap, I am Iron Man. Like, yeah, it mm-hmm. was just it was one of the most like perfect moments ever. Like, just unbelievably satisfying to watch. It was probably one of the most de- one of the greatest one of the greatest death scenes in cinema history. Oh yeah, I mean he basically he gets like a half hour funeral after that. A funeral so big that they're like, oh yeah, I guess Natasha and Vision died too, but we're not gonna we're not gonna eulogize them here at all. They don't get a funeral, <laughs> which is bogus. But. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and also speaking of uh, Marvel, here's here's another this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, Spider Man two. Or Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Eh. You an Coming asshole with the hard-hitting <laughs> questions here. You an um, asshole for that one. <laughs> oh, man. Uh. I'm going to give it to Spider-Verse. I'm going to give it to Spider-Verse. And again, yeah. Spider-Man 2 is so damn good, so this... You're coming out with the hard questions. I'm going to give it to Spider-Verse because what it was trying to accomplish and what it managed to accomplish so spectacularly was so much harder than what Spider-Man 2 had. It's like it's like with the with the Olympics, it'll say, like, you know, the difficulty for their routine or whatever that they're doing. Like, it's the same thing with Spider-Verse because it's like with Spider-Man 2, you're, you're doing a sequel to a smash hit movie. So just kind of build on a little bit there. We got a different villain. Etc. You don't have to worry about many new characters or anything. Spider Verse. It's like here's a reintroduction to to Peter Parker, numerous Peter Parkers, different Peter Parkers. Here's Miles Morales. Here's all these different Spider people. Here's this con- this multiversal concept. Here's this incredible art style. You know this uh, this Bill Sinkovics inspired Kingpin. Like just so much. Its goals were so so lofty, and it it did it so beautifully. So, yeah, yeah I'm going I'm to give it to Spider-Verse. Yeah, not to mention, just the art style alone, which is something that we've never seen before. Yeah, it was for real. Very, like, like, it was very unique, I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, like, one of the beautiful little details that I found out later on that I didn't even realize at the time was the way they used the frame rate on the characters to tell stories. Because they have it to where, uh, at the beginning of the movie when Miles is first starting to be Spider-Man, he has a much choppier frame rate and he's kind of sloppy, doesn't know what he's doing. And Peter, while he's Spider-Man, he's got a smooth, higher frame rate, more frames Mm. per second, you know? Mm. And then over the course of the movie, as Miles learns what he's doing, the frame rate goes up. And by the end of the movie, they have the same number of frames per second whenever they're animated. So it was a way of like them using the animation to very subtly show the difference in practice and skill to where here's Peter Parker, here's this established superhero, and here's Miles as the new guy. And one of the first times you actually see their, their frame rate line up for a second is when they're in the forest and they're web-slinging together. The mm. frame rate kind of catches up, and then it links up for a little bit, and then they fall, and it kind of breaks apart. But it's like, it's just, it's brilliant. It's so, so subtle. Like, I would have never known about that had I not, you know, had somebody else not told me about it. But Jeez. it well, thank you for giving me another reason to watch Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> there yeah. you go. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, man, let me try to hit you guys one more. I've got one more as well. Star Wars, the prequel trilogy versus the sequel trilogy. 
Come on. So, <laughs> Come on, man. The, the, the sequel trilogy made me appreciate the weird creativity behind the prequels more. Because the prequels are... The prequels are kids' movies, like, first and foremost, for most of them, except for Revenge of the Sith gets pretty grim at the end, but, like, for the most part, they're kids' movies, and they, they're unabashed about it. Lucas always said he thought of them as kids' movies, but they're, they're just, they're a lot weirder, and so I, I can respect the weirdness, whereas the sequels felt like Disney was trying to play it too safe with a lot of stuff. I wanted them to be a little bolder and to be a little weirder about it. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's, I guess, I guess again, a a soft yes on prequels, but it's, 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 it's with many qualifiers just because I can appreciate the weird creativity of it. All right. Hit us with one more. All right. And uh, this one is a three way, uh, this or that. So you can only pick one. Okay. Uh, the MCU shows WandaVision, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or Loki? Mm. WandaVision. I'm going to go WandaVision. Wow. Yes. Hard. Yeah, well, because, like, to, to go back, like, WandaVision is about grief. It hits you in the face with it the whole time while also doing these incredible, like, huge stylistic choices and doing such an incredibly good job with doing it to capture the essence of these old, like, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s sitcoms, early 2000s sitcoms, like, it, it was brilliant, and also it managed to have such a powerful message to go along with it. Falcon Winter Soldier, stylistically, played it much more safe, which was fine, but it's not as bold of a choice, and I wanted to see them, I wanted to see them hit the topic of race a little harder, because Disney, you know, Disney, again, they play real safe, so they might, they might do a little, but I wanted to see I wanted to see more. Like my, I think my favorite scene in all of Falcon and Winter Soldier, outside of probably Sam in in that suit at the end, just kicking ass. Man, what a good suit! Holy shit, he looks so fucking cool. <laughs> comic comic end. book accurate um, too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's what was incredible. I was like, it's such a good translation. But I, just as far as like, um, like raw emotional content, the stuff with Isaiah Washington, the uh, the actor portraying him the the hurt that he brought to that performance that I thought was incredible and I, I wanted more of that kind of thing yeah. you know so I, I, I give one division I put it first because I wanted Falcon and Winter Soldier to be a little bolder than it was yeah mm, I would have to say uh, I would I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna go with Wandavision because it was just something different, something new that we got from the MCU. But I will say that Loki is the most important out of the three, yeah, as well, far as just yeah, progressing the story, I mean, progressing the storyline, and letting us know us this is for... where it, this is where we're setting up. Yeah. This is where it's going. Whereas it's... I feel like the other two were still, you know, they still kept us in that. We were still in that transitional period mm-hmm. from going from the Infinity Saga to the Multiverse, multiverse. Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be. I'm. I'm very interested to to see where it's going next. Yeah, and actually, I'm actually looking forward to what if. And Victor actually uh, pointed out uh, when we did our uh, our uh, Loki uh, review a couple of weeks ago was that 
now we have the what if show coming up and how this and those are just basically what if scenarios you know what if this happened or what if that's happened now that they're introducing the multiverse like even though it's animated we might see them come back it's yeah it had yeah. it now has an intricate part it has a part of the you know as a part of the story mm-hmm. like we might see you know captain carter show up in uh in, in some multiverse thing or mm-hmm. something i'd say the only tragically we're definitely not going to get star lord t'challa though yeah since we lost chadwick boseman but you know it, it just, other than that yeah. An interesting fact, an interesting uh, Easter egg too that I uh, pointed out. It's one of those things in hindsight, and I told Victor this. Next time you watch it, and and um, during Tony Stark's uh, funeral speech, they show T'Challa with you know with Shuri and Queen Ramonda, and he said, and Tony says, "I hope you're watching this in celebration. Mm-hmm. When you're at a funeral, you're celebrating the life. So it's just like, wow, that's." It was just one of those things like I picked up and I was like, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah, but that's all I got. Anything else you got? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, man. Um, what would you, uh, any, um, like final, like, recommendations or anything, anything else that you, you want to encourage people to check out? Anything like that that you feel is overlooked, be it like a book, a video game, a film, or whatever the case may be? Let's see. Um, <clears throat> overlooked stuff. Uh, I'll talk about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend again. It's, it's such a strange, beautiful little show because it's this, it's a musical TV series, but like, it's really funny and dark and brilliant and talks about mental health in a way that's very open that again as a psychologist i'm constantly hoping for to see because you know not enough people are not enough people take care of their mental health and they need to you know for simone biles to come out and say i need to take a step back for my mental health like that's wonderful you know because so many people are going to feel emboldened to take care of their own mental health because of that and just on a pop culture level, like a, a TV show like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which deals with mental health in a way that's approachable and fun and funny and smart, I think is also really important. Cool. So definitely Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I would, uh, I'd highly recommend that one. Um, I, I'll tell you what my, one of my internal recommendations is the Discworld book series. By Sir Terry Pratchett. I I absolutely love the Discworld books. I've read them more times than I can count. It's the book series I go back to the most. I could, it's the fictional world I could probably most easily find my way around in if I got magically transported into it like an anime character. Like I I just I absolutely love the Discworld books. I constantly endeavor to try to have the same wit and humor in my own writing as Terry Pratchett. This unattainable goal, but I'll always shoot for it. So that's my my eternal recommendation. Yeah. Also, my own work, the Make oh, a yeah, Living, definitely. <laughs> Make a Nerdy Living, the guide to uh, becoming a professional nerd. Also, my other series, the, the Geek Handbook series, 100 Greatest Graphic Novels, my wife's book, Action Movie Freak, uh, my graphic novel, Kill the Freshman, which uh, I like to describe to people as Mean Girls meets Dragon Ball Z. Uh, it's That's very, interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it's very, like, action-packed, uh, action-y sort of graphic novel, but it's also set around, like, high school 
social uh, maneuvering. So I, I have a lot of love for it. I, I, I'm endeavoring to do a sequel to it, but again, the publishing industry is very slow. So we'll see when that sequel comes out eventually. Nice. Nice. Back. Yeah. And also, I do have a recommendation for you as well. Um, okay. Uh, for, for a video game. Um, I don't know if you've played it or heard of it. It's called Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Oh, so I've heard of it. I have not played it, but I have I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a remarkable game. Um, like uh, you play you play as uh, the title character. It's like she's like it takes place like in like I guess like maybe like the early the early millenniums, like around like probably like the year one thousand or something, like the age of like kind of like the post 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 Viking age. And you play you play as this woman who, you know, she's you know she's basically navigating this environment where like she 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 hears like voices in her head and they're all competing they all have like conflicting opinions of what, what she should do and the game is like a really good exploration into like um psychosis and uh and like her her struggles with mental health and it, it's uh-huh. it's 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 a wonderful game and the game was like well researched as well delving into cool. that so yeah, yeah, from a psychologist perspective, you might appreciate it too. I, you know, I've I've been meaning to check that out because I've always heard really good things about it. But maybe I'll I'll stop putting it off and, and finally dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Yeah. All right, for me, Alex, it was a blast. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, this was fun. This was a good time. Oh man, we will definitely have it. We're definitely gonna be calling you. We're gonna have you back on again. <laughs> You bet, guys. Anytime. Just, yeah. uh, um, anything else you me. need to, you want to plug in? Uh, tell the people where you can find you. Um, I am at Rocket Lemma on Twitter. That's my most prevalent social media. And you can always find my books and whatnot through my website, rocketlemma.com. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. And um, and also uh, also everyone, be sure to check out uh, 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 his book, Make a Nerdy Living. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, in Ooh. in stores, uh, in any bookstore you can find it. It's awesome. Yep, sold whether fine or not so fine. Books are sold. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and um, and as for us, uh, Codex Prime, you can find all of our episodes. Uh, um, on, we're on Facebook Live uh, every Tuesday evening around 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, we also uh, you can also find all of our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, where you can hit us up with a five star review. Uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. Oh, and of course, uh, SoundCloud, where we upload our video, our, our episodes too. Nice. So yeah, and then also you can find us on social media. Obviously, Facebook, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter at Cortex Prime Cast, uh, Instagram, Instagram Cortex Prime Podcast, and also select uh, content on YouTube as well and our Twitch uh, Cortex Prime Podcast. Yes, indeed. We're pretty much everywhere. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Alex, once again, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for you know joining us and nerding it up Likewise. tonight. Likewise, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and for and for all of our uh, listeners, uh, thank you all for uh, listening and watching and and contributing in the chat. Um, as always, uh, tune in next week, same Codex time, same Codex channel. Uh, and as always, uh, we will catch you on the flip. Peace out, man. Later.